Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Walbrock, and super excited to have with me today, and I from so totally forgot, we talked for 20 minutes just now, how to pronounce your last name. So I'll say Leah, and then last name. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> I see I would have done it completely wrong. Right. <laughs> oh, think long, long vowels. All the long vowels are right there. <laughs> okay. See, I was going to do like Kayo or... people <laughs> do. <laughs> All right. Glad I asked, you know, should have done it beforehand. So yeah, it's my name. I should know. (laughs) Well, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Super, super excited to have you talk about what what it is you're doing. I just told you a few minutes ago that I love one of the things, many things that you're doing is the the badass trainer and boot camp. So yeah. (laughs) Yes. Badass Trainer Bootcamp and Teach Like Their Lives Depend on It are both our signature programs. And, oh, um, I love it. For the opportunity to teach teachers, and that one does trauma-informed, resiliency building, social-emotional learning, um, student-led learning, and um, helps to try to put all of that together in everyday classroom. Um, and then the Badass Trainer Bootcamp takes um, my system called Mindset Scaffolding and teaches tra- trainers how to, what we call, um, increase your stick because our, our motto is regardless of, uh, regardless of the learning experience, it either sticks or it sucks. And um, so stick is what can people do with it when they walk out the door, right? It was a great experience, but do they do something with it when they leave? And so increasing the stick through our, our mindset scaffolding. So it's not relevant necessarily to any content. All content can be put through the blueprint. So that's a really great experience and a lot of fun. And both of those we use to be able to build our own internal teams as well, because we do professional development in the diversity and inclusion arena, and we're always looking for um, trainers who are willing to um, contract with us into and subcontract with us into contracts and um, that sort of stuff. So we that's our pipeline. So you come through the badass trainer, go through mentoring, go through um, co-tra- uh, co-training before you can become a lead trainer. So it's a process that we support each other through. Um, and then Teach Like Their Lives, we are um, in the process of developing the Teach Like Their Lives Depend on It as a turnaround school program. Wow. So building and looking for more and more um, folks who have teacher credentials who want to go into schools that are low-performing or underperforming, particularly those that are high-trauma, high-poverty impact, and turn those schools around. And we've got it down to where we are pretty sure we can do it in – we can do the majority of the work in the first year, and within three years, the school is fully turned around. So those kinds of things that are really exciting and, and really driving the change and out in front, um, and it's about community, right? It's how many people can we bring in to be able to do the work, spread the love, and, and you know, rising tides lift all boats. So we need all boats. <laughs> That's the, the fun part is building the communities that continue to be able to go out and have those impacts. Um, as a teacher, I can have an impact on one small class. As a trainer, I impact those groups of people. But by teaching teachers and teaching trainers, the impact is, is you know, exponential. So that's the, the driving component behind why those signature programs are what they are. That's wonderful. Beautiful, beautiful. And so, like I said, I've been in the school systems, been in the mental health field, and wow, is it needed. And thank you for doing it. Yes. And our emphasis is on tools. Like, what do you do? It's um, so 
Um, when we look at trauma-informed, we talk about how we raise our own awareness, but really coming into a pattern and a, and a system by which I can go, oh, that's something I want to change, right? But how do I change that? And providing those kinds of tools, as well as talking about, you know, um, the, the great news about trauma um, impact in terms of the brain is that all the research is also telling us that learning is what changes that impact. But we have to get in there and we have to get in a little bit differently. You know, sit and get, stand and deliver doesn't work, right? So what are the tools that we have to use? How do we incorporate? How do we replace things like working memory with muscle memory? And so those sorts of tools and, and skills that are the game changers, both for our teachers and our kids. So that's kind of how we're, we're looking at it as what are the tools that we can hand you, not just what's the information we can hand you. Okay. Practice too. So yeah. And now is this just local to Washington or is this nationwide? Are you reaching out? We're all over the place. Um, hey. yeah. And um, we've had um, a lot of success with it here in Washington, but we've also had some success out um, on the East coast in Ohio, Virginia, um, and we are, um, my, my dream, right? What I really want to do is to get into Baltimore City Schools, um, partly because they struggle the most. They have the highest impacted, one of the highest impacted um, populations. And being able to walk in there and hand out, even if I could just, you know, hand one tool to every teacher, right? I mean, just, just that sort of thing that would begin to make that change. So that's the, 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 the big picture that I have. Um, and in the meantime, we get to play in lots of other school districts. It works really well, and we're having a lot of success in some of our small rural um, districts out here, partly because the systems are small enough we can change them quickly, um, and that's paying off in big ways as well. Um, so, yeah, because what we do is we, um, we encourage schools to send, like, four or five teachers and an administrator. And then in addition to the, um, the boot camp, which is a six-day intensive, they also get the 10 hours of um, on-the-ground coaching in their buildings so it, um, across months. There's also um, uh, bad, or both Badass and Teach Like Their Lives. We have coaching calls monthly just to keep the, the, the energy going to talk about what's working and what's not working. So trying to make sure that it's not a one-and-done and really working towards implementation because, you know, it can be a great program, but if nobody uses it once they leave, what right. good is it? Right. So yeah, so those it's I mean it's 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 we we put it together with what we think is well thought out with um and with more and more willingness to grow that, right? So if somebody came in and said, you know, this is what would really benefit me, we'd really look hard at how we might be able to do that, you know, you know, across the board. So those kinds of things. Um, you know, it's gotta be um organic, evolutionary, right? It has to continue, yes. right? Because I wanna be um, the, one of the giants on whose shoulders the next generation stands, right, to be able to keep things going. So not trying to hold too much close to vest, right? We, we have trademarks and we have copyrights, but it's not like we say you can't use it unless. It's like, here, go. Right, right. <laughs> well, I think, but go use that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think of is it almost seems like on a daily, weekly basis, we're learning so much more about resiliency and, and what is having an impact and what is not. And um, yeah. And so if you're learning as you go and you're right in there, I mean, you're in there and seeing what is it that's helping build this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And a lot of it is blindsight, right? It's helping people shift what they see and what they think and how their judge um, shows up, right? So when I see a behavior, what, um, you know, I encourage people to learn how to describe instead of label because labeling carries judgment as opposed to descriptions, which give us much more to work with. Um, so if a teacher comes to me and says, I have a kid who has violent behavior. I'm like, yeah, describe that. <laughs> yes. Because violence has a really heavy connotation. And I had a situation where we had a little guy, he was a kindergartner and I had, you know, he's so violent and da 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 da. And I went in and did that observation and it was a kid. You called his name while he was in height and he turned around and go, what? There was no escalation. He didn't have any social skills. He was raised in a, in a home with his grandparents and great-grandparents. So he had no idea that there were other little people around. He was so exuberant. He tackled kids, right? Yes. Violent, right? And so when we begin to describe behavior, we take out that, that emotional charge and we step into a place where we can truly problem solve. And those are the kinds of things that we have to work at in terms of shifting how we think and what we, the stories we tell. Because our stories are huge. And the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we, we tell students, the stories we tell each other. And how do we change those, right? How do we get it into our bones that those are different? Right. And it's so much of the work, right, of changing the story. And I spend, I can't tell you how many times in a training, my words are, see, this is how we change the conversation, right? So, <laughs> yeah. So that's the tools, right? The tools are about how do we change that conversation? Right. And you know, one of the things that pops into my head and, and I love your thoughts on it is being in classroom setting. And I said, you know, I would have teachers come to me and say, Terry, what can I do? How can I help this kid? You know, I have this particular child that's, you know, acting out or having behavior issues in the classroom or um, just putting their head down. They're so tired. They're so, you know, I know they're exhausted and hungry and all of that. And we would talk about it. And then they would talk about, you know, another child in the classroom. And, and the one had, uh, the little girl had come to see me. And the teacher was so surprised that this little girl was coming to see me because she said, my gosh, she's just a little angel. She's so perfect. She's always so good in the classroom. Well, here this child was experiencing horrific trauma at home. And um, so this child put on the I have to be perfect at all times, um, you know, coat and was just the perfect student and never, never did anything wrong. But yet this child had horrific trauma happening um, and it just happened to come across. We were we were able to help this kid out. But and so I tell, tell these teachers, it's not always the behavioral issues, but every child has a story um, kind of along the lines of what you just said. And we don't know stories. We don't know trauma. And sometimes our kids can't articulate it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which is why if we create classrooms that are safe learning environments for all kids, we teach self-regulation and self-management to all kids. We provide kids with the foundations that they need to be able to self-advocate. And we create an environment that's predictable, that's got, you know, structure and rules, right? But also has the ability for students to be able to identify what they are good at, how they do things. You know, all of those pieces, if we create classrooms that are made up of that, then we meet the needs of all kids, regardless of their level of diversity, regardless of their level of trauma. 
And, yeah. and that's what Teach Like Their Lives Depend On It is about, right? How do we create classrooms where all kids thrive, um, including teachers? Because, yeah. you know, we have the other side of trauma, which is the caregiver um, a burnout, right? So oh, yeah. we teach teachers in the process of creating classrooms that they can create classrooms in ways that are also self-managing because we teach through example, right? So um, we use the zones of regulation, which have four colors, right? Blue, yellow, or blue, green, red, no, blue, green, yellow, red, that order, right? And um, blue is I need a break, break, green is I'm ready to learn, yellow is I'm losing control, and red is I'm out of control. When I, as a teacher, can also then model those and go, you know, you guys, are, I'm just totally frustrated. I am now in the yellow. I really need five-minute break, so everybody pull out your silent reading. I'm going to sit here for a few minutes, do my deep breathing while you read. If you need to do your deep breathing, by all means, I invite you to do that, but we need five minutes. Set the timer, right? So in that way, I model that if this isn't just something that we do to kids. This is about living it. And Wow. So allows me as a teacher to step into self-care and wouldn't it be cool if in June teachers were exci as excited to be teachers as they are in September, right? Not right. for summer break, excited to be a teacher. Right. <laughs> That's, that would be the, the true litmus test of self-care, right? Right. He's ready to go in June as I was to go in September. And so how do we help teachers step into that space? Because it's, we're, we're talking two sides of a coin, right? Not only do we have kids who have experienced trauma and need to learn how to manage that and be themselves and, and work through and be a part of um, community, teachers are in the same boat, right? So how do we manage both sides of that, of that equation? And those are the things that are crucial in terms of, of education and learning. Wow, beautiful. Well, before we get d deeper into it, I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your own personal story, um, which will help then lead us back into why it is you're doing what you're doing. So I was, um, I was born into a family where drugs and guns were the family business. I was a runner at seven, full-blown addict by the time I was 10. I lost my mother, two brothers, and a sister by the time I was seven. Um, at the age of 15, I was taught to steal cars. And all of this was my contribution to the family business. But if you looked around, 24 was old in the business, right? You know, and, and I was smart enough to look around and go, huh, <laughs> I'd like to be older than that. Yeah. Around the same time that those, those thoughts started to come into my head, um, I was an inner city kid. So, you know, we were in warehouses. At least they knew where we were for a couple hours a day kind of thing. And I had my guidance counselor. I didn't even know we had a guidance counselor. Um, you know, show up in a class and say, you know, will you come to my office? The only office I'd ever been was the principal's office, right? So I had no idea we had a guidance counselor, they had an office or what happened in there. And so I'm, you know, leery to start with. We sit down and, and she says to me, you're smart. And I waited because there was always something after that, right? Smart Alex, smart ass, something, right? Right. Okay. And she said, you know, you scored better as a sophomore on the um, SATs than any of our graduating seniors. And I'm like, okay, you're going to ruin my image. <laughs> right. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, right? And, and so what? And she was like, I'm going to put you in a senior English class. And I'm like, you're really trying to kill me here. You know, and she's like, it'll be fine. She put me in that English class. And that English teacher, for the first time in my life, helped, helped my work up as exemplars. Not as a, you know, this is better than everybody else, but as a, 
this is what we're driving towards. You know, if you need help, why don't you look at, right? Those kinds of things. I had no idea. She supported me. And um, instead of telling me all the things I was doing wrong, she found my, um, my humor, my sarcasm in classroom entertaining. And she'd help to kind of direct it in the right direction, you know, and, <clears throat> and say, you know, that might not be as appropriate as we'd like in classrooms, but, right? So those sorts of things that really helped to guide that. And then came the day. And we had this huge research project. We had to research another country. I had never been outside of my neighborhood. And this was long before Google, right? So the library walls are all those little boxes, right? Yeah, so, the Dewey Decimal System, yes. Yeah, and you're supposed to know what to do with those, right? <laughs> right. Like in this lost state. She literally sat for hours with me after school in that library, teaching me how to use those cards, how to find the materials, what each thing meant, where it was, how to... And so she opened this whole new world for me. And it was because of those two women that I was offered um, a college scholarship. They helped me um, uh, work through and make sure that my, my transcripts were well enough. I had what I needed. All of those pieces were all in place. And that's why I got my foot through the door. In contrast, now those were two white middle-class women. Okay, that's an important component because my best friend who happened to be black, who was probably smarter than I am, um, didn't get the same opportunities. She never went to college. No one picked her up as smart. No one made that extra effort. No one leaned in. You know, we'd walk down the street and people would, would walk around her because she's black. She was the goody two-shoes. I was the thug. I was the one they needed to be wary of, right? Those kinds of contrasts. And it's not like, when I, you know, when I went to college, it was this straight linear line. I married my dealer, seemed like a really good idea at the time. You know, I mean, just so, so you know, it, it was a circuitous process of getting myself through and out. But what paid off in the big picture was being able to walk, to, to lean into, I know I'm smart. Yeah. I know that I have these things that are working for me. And the other side of that is recognizing as I went through, so I'm a mom on welfare, sitting down with my you know, neighborhood girlfriends, and I'm like, yeah, childcare, and my black friend who turns to me and says, childcare, how'd you get childcare? And I said, I asked, and she said, so did I, right? So those kinds of contrasts that showed up that allowed me to understand my white privilege, and I'm white passing. My mom was a full-blood native. My dad was an Appalachian hillbilly, right? So that my white skin is what gave me that leg up. My mother and both of my, both my brothers and sister were darker skinned than I was. It was just another dead Indian, right? So all of those pieces that really made clear my white privilege. It shouldn't be that way, right? Every kid should have the opportunity I had. And that's what's thrown me into diversity and inclusion. How do we level the playing field so that we are not just um, giving hand outs, but giving hands up so that we are providing the support, the resiliency components that we know. I mean, Search Institute has had the developmental assets out, you know, as long as I can remember, right? Those kinds of things that we can do, right? It takes one meaningful relationship with an adult, with a kid. That's all it takes. Yes. Is it that we can't reach every one of those kids, right? So those kinds of thought processes that throw me in. And the other contrast then that I've learned along the way, right, is it's the story we tell. And so I learned to tell my story differently. 
when I went to a colleague of mine and I said, I don't understand this marketing thing. Help me understand this marketing. She looked at me and she said, girl, did you not hustle on the corner? And I was like, yeah, well, so what? She's like, that's marketing, right? And that was really the beginning of the change of my story because I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. I was taught from a very young age, customer service, um, uh, being able to identify and move product, how to know what works and what doesn't, how to meet the needs of, of, of you know, supply and demand, how to market, how to find your niche, how to sit down with your customers and talk to them about what's working and what's not. All of those skills were embedded in that world. And when I turn around and look at the assets and the resiliency that I was given, it helps me to change my story, which then helps me to help other people change their stories and the stories they're telling kids. So that's, you know, the, that, that um, what's it called when you take something big and make it small? Um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'm visual, right? It goes, <laughs> and, and that's, that's the nugget, right? That's the piece of things that, that moves everything forward to me, that keeps me um, in my place that knows um, I am powerful, I am capable, and I am special just as every other human being that I come in contact with is. And my job is to reach out and look at people and say, you are powerful, you are capable, you are special. And that's what I do. So, Wow. I started with goosebumps on my head. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Powerful. And, and, and that's the power that we come from, right? I mean, all of us have that kind of power behind us. And the goal is that, you know, as I said earlier, when we were talking before, this is how we become the shoulders, the giants of the shoulders for the next generation to stand on. Yeah. This we do that. You know, I tell people a lot, and I've said it before on this podcast, but finding the gift within the chaos, and you have certainly found your gifts within your chaos. Yeah. Chaos is a gift. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, because without chaos, it's really hard to to latch on, right? So when everything's swirling, you got to find, it's kind of like when you're, um, when you're dancing or when you're riding a horse, right? How do you, how do you stay true? You find your horizon, right? So chaos is going, where's your horizon, right? So all of that stuff, chaos is a gift. And, and the more we can embrace that chaos, the more gifts we find. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And to be able to walk away and write and be, have, have your collection of gifts. So yeah. Wonderful. Well, and 20 years of therapy. I mean, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get here all by myself, right? <laughs> 20 years of therapy. I could have bought three houses with what I paid for my mental health, but it's worth every single penny, right? So. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> oh, very cool. So any myths or facts that you would like to clarify for listeners? So one of the struggles that I have is um, it's, I'm seeing this new thing in trauma and it's, you know, not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you. And what we have to be careful of with that, what happened to you is it really is what's your reaction to what happened to you and what's my reaction to what happened to you. And because otherwise what we do is we, we put people into a victim role, right? Poor, poor you, what happened to you, that's the reason, right? Which reinforces beliefs, which reinforce behaviors, right? That's not what we want. What we want is we want people to say, tell me about what happened to you. Tell me about what you've done with it. Where else can we go, right? So, so it's, it's like it's only half the story. 
yes, it's important to shift from what's wrong with you to what happened to you, but we got to keep going or yes. else we're on that victim drama triangle. And that's what I see is that um, what I see that, that causes a lot of teachers to burn out is that they get caught in the story of their kid. Right. So I have this student and this is their terrible, awful, no good, very bad story. And it hurts my heart and I don't know what to do. And then we lower our expectations. And then before we know it, we've got this kid in a victim box. And that's not where we want them. That's not self-regulation. That's not self-management. That's not self-empowerment. Right. So we have to step out of the what's happened to you into how do we how did you react to what happened to you? And how do I react to what happened to you? That's what changes the story. Yeah. I just, what popped into my head was my favorite hashtag for my stuff that I put out is trauma warrior. And so I think about, you know, creating these little trauma warriors. Yeah. Okay. You went through that. Now let's take that and see where we can go with it and you yep. know, find the gifts and empower yourself. And yeah. yeah. And what are the things that you build your shield with, that you build your weapon with, right? Those, those are the gifts that you've been given that you put together into your, um, into your moving forward because we don't need armor either. Right. Armor isn't, gonna, armor isn't the solution. Right. But what we need to do is we need to know how and what are our tools? What's the way that we move forward? Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. Very beautiful. OK. One of my favorite questions that I like to ask people is if you could meet anyone dead or alive to help you with your continued journey, whether it's your personal, professional or both, who would it be? So probably. So I'm, I'm torn, right? I got, I have all these things that run through my head. Um, one of my favorite um, elders um, was Black Elk because um, he seemed to have the, that 30,000 foot view, right? So he was the one who, as he looked around and watched how um, the, um, the infiltration and conquering that came with white people, right? And he said, the hoop has now been broken. And it was this idea of the disconnect that has happened between human and everything else, right? And if I could sit down with him and have the conversation that says, what did it look like before that? And how do we get back to that, right? Just to be able to have that kind of conversation, um, uh, I really think that 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 would be like life-changing for me oh yes yeah because we do need to get back to it mm -hmm. yeah. we forget how connected we are we forget um, what I do to you I do to me what I do to me I do to you and when I lose sight of that you know I, I come from a global perspective that we're all connected and I'm the one who on the middle of the highway will pull off and get a bug off my windshield <laughs> Damn it, if I'm the bug on your windshield, get me off, right? So it's <laughs> <laughs> I'm only laughing because I'm that same person. Right, right? And yes. it's the mindfulness of what, when I am mindfully aware that everything I do has an impact, right? It creates ripples. And research tells us if I do something that Im impacts you negatively, it's going to take at least seven positives that you take in to make that change yes that's a huge a lot of a rest responsibility to open my mouth and insert my foot right. so 
why don't I just check myself before I open my mouth and shove my foot down my throat, right? So those sorts of things that, that raises that awareness into how powerful language is, how powerful my actions are, how we never know the impact we have on people. And it's huge and crucial in terms of coming back together. I mean, yeah. I'm, a nail, I'm an idealist. I'm a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. I'm a Pisces. It's in my blood, you know. It's <laughs> in my little dream world of, you know, my my, name, my nickname is Glitter Shitter, so. Oh, nice. <laughs> you unicorns, huh? Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I'm a realist on one hand. I mean, you know, I have an inner thug. You can't come through life with an inner thug without having some level of reality therapy attached. Yes. But at the same time, um, being able to look out at and wonder at the amazing resiliency that you're surrounded by, yeah. you know, and in people, in animals, in the planet itself. And, um, you know, I frequently tell people we don't need to save the planet. <laughs> It'll be just fine. We might want to worry about us, but we don't have to worry about the planet. <laughs> yeah. If we start to take better care of us and each other. Right. And, and um, I, I teach from a model that I call selfish altruism, um, which is uh, in Native tradition, you develop from the inside out, right? So first you develop your I. Who am I, right? And, and clearly, who am I? And then I move out into like concentric circles, right, into my we, which is my interpersonal relationships. And then from there, I move out into my us, which is my community and my world, right? And who I am in within each of those. What's ironic then is, we change, right? My eye is not stagnant. And so it's like a breath, right? I pull into my eye and then I inhale, right? And it's, it works almost in threes. So at the age of three, who we are, the age of 13, who we are, 23, who we are, 33, 43. And if you look at the life changes that we're in, in each of those, my, not only does my eye change, my we changes, my us changes. And so when we go through life, right? So if we were able to get every person in our sphere, right, to learn and apply all of the things that we know about what it means to be respectful of I, to learn and apply everything we know about what it means to be respectful of we, and what it means to, and apply, what it means to be respectful of us. We could change the world in one generation, and it's because of what I did, not because of anything else, right? That's how I changed the world. And so that's, it's that idea of we can get enough people to just, you know, try it. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what happens, right? So how do, how do people get a hold of you? Um, so I am on LinkedIn and I'm um, with respect has a Facebook page. I have a Facebook page, but I'm not on it much. I'm on with respect. Um, I'm in messenger. Um, we have a website and the website is with hyphen respect.com. Um, and uh, everything is there. We have an upcoming free webinar on October 9th through Training Magazine. If you go to our webpage, there's a pop-up box that says register. It's a free webinar. Um, it's an hour. It's on training to diverse brains. Um, if you're a teacher, training to diverse brains is the same as teaching to diverse brains. Um, I'm, I'm having a little trouble with the crossover. People seem to be a little resistant to, if I say trainers, then teachers, you know, check out. If I say teachers, trainers, check out. They're right. the same people, their audience changes. But anyway. Um, by all means, check it out. It's, um, it's a component of, um, of what's in the Badass Trainer, 
um, and a little bit of what's in Teach Like Their Lives. It's um, because both of them are brain heavy. We talk about um, how the brain's wired, what's, um, what the brain likes, right, and what are the impacts um, of trauma, of poverty, because um, we have structural brain changes that happen in trauma. So, um, so all of those kinds of things. But so those are the pla best places to find me. Uh, my email is Leah, L-E-A-H, at with hyphen respect.com. Okay. And Very cool. Get a, I generally turn things around in three business days tops. So. Okay. Fantastic. So anything else that you wanted to touch on before we end? Um, I think that um, the recognition, one of the interesting things when I do trainings, um, when I do the particularly around um, diversity and inclusion, is that we talk about um, everything that we need that needs to happen in the world starts with me. And when I start asking questions of what can I do to make that person, what can I do to help that person, the first thing I have to do is pull that on the inside and check to see what I've got for me. Um, because until I've got it, I can't give it, right? Um, it's part of what we have around empathy, compassion, and respect. If I don't have it for me, I can't have it for anybody else. And so I encourage everyone to start with that personal self-check because that's where changing the world starts. And um, that's where impacting um, at our highest good, at our highest self starts. Um, uh, so that would be my, my biggest thing. That and ask questions, don't tell people things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Self-care. Self-care is just so crucial. And um, like you talked about earlier about burnout and um, get these teachers and staff and um, to utilize that self-care. Yeah. And mindfulness. And I loved what you said, just to go back for a second of what you, the modeling example you gave of a teacher standing before their students and saying, you know what? Um, <laughs> I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and I need five minutes. And it just gives kids permission that, Oh, Okay, so it's okay to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And cute story. Um, I have one teacher who does um, all she does that would be quote unquote different um, that you would notice in the classroom is she starts um, her day with fourth graders um, in an inner city school with mindfulness. And they talk about finding their center, they do their breathing, and they all relax. And so this um, one little guy is out on the playground and he's watching this. Um, event <laughs> with high with a uh, junior high kids and they're starting to escalate and he walks over to the one little one um, bigger kid tugs on his sleeve and says you know this would be a good time for you to find your center <laughs> so <laughs> so when we start handing out those tools they use them yes modeling it they use them and that's the cool thing right it's not just throwing it into, into the abyss, you know? Oh yeah. 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 Well, kids are so awesome. I love yeah. them. I just think, yeah, very cool. All right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here with me today. And, um, I've learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
totally enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I look forward to more conversation. Yes, absolutely. It's just, it's been wonderful. So I'm going to do a little close out. Everyone, thank you for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you.